welcome to Utopia for Dirtbags. Proposing ideas for the New World Manifesto. Continuing the proud tradition of unqualified wankers advising you on how to run the planet. Welcome back to Utopia for Dirtbags. I'm Iris and I'm here as usual with my brother David. Hey kids. The last topic we covered, which is the um, very easy reading subject of institutionalised racism in policing. It was just too spicy, we couldn't leave it alone, so we come back for more. A double dip, some might say. So obviously a lot of the conversation is around what's happening in the US and all of the um, peaceful protesters being liberally gassed, which is totally fine under the Geneva Convention. Shh, don't question it. Yeah, I mean, if you can't use it on a soldier, of course you should use it on a civilian. Makes perfect sense. But there have also, of course, been some protests in the UK, most notably that have ended in some statues being toppled and or the threat of statues being vandalised, bringing out a bunch of sausage-necked Nazis. But that's a whole other thing. Um. <laughs> I mean, that was beautiful, witnessing them, like, going over to defend a statue and, like, protect the police or something, and then having fights with the police. Right, <laughs> and, like, pissing on monuments to the yeah. police. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that was great, yeah, perfect. What, what lads? Yeah, he got a hefty fucking, like, a fairly high sentence for that, just because it was, it was like, very uh, in the news. It was, it was, like, months, I think. Which is unusual. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, don't go wrong. Like, it wasn't great, but I think that's a pretty harsh sentence. Oh, I don't care. Fuck him. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm pretending to be reasonable, but I just don't care. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Did you notice that the pictures from that, were, from that protest were presented as the Black Lives Matter protest originally? Mm. Yeah, yeah. Like, they... The, the fucking media have done all sorts of shit, like using footage from previous protests. Like, I, I saw some stuff they were doing about what was going on in America, where they were having... Crude Photoshop battles. <laughs> oh, yeah, do you see the stuff they did on fucking Fox? It's so oh, it's bad. A, oh, it's so great. They literally just crudely, like, photoshopped some, like, guys who looked like fucking insurgents into, like... <laughs> the yeah. um like the Chaz thing. It was great. Oh man. Like they are, they are sort of, it wasn't even good. But um yeah, it's just some next level shit right there. Yeah, and uh, as usual this sort of uh debate about um monuments cropped up. That's not something I've noticed has really been much of a thing in the UK before. And we've no. that's another um that's another trend that we like to piggyback on off of the US on. Like, ah, oh, they're getting all indignant about their public monuments, so we should also do that. Because um, <laughs> mm. I guarantee you, no one cares. No one gives a shit. No one, no one has ever fucking walked through their town centre and even noticed who the fuck that statue was to. I, I don't care that it got taken down, to be frank. Um, there, there were previously quite a few petitions to get it removed. Um, and that didn't work. And then, you know, people got angry and took it down. Um, so I'm okay with that. Look, the guy wasn't good. Get so your average person doesn't bat an eye. The only people that actually care are like sort of local history societies, which are sort of 
90-year-old retirees that have nothing else to do but look back at their heyday, which was, you know, in the 1850s. Um. <laughs> I'm, I have an issue with them being taken down. My issue is more with how it's trying to move the conversation. Right. This isn't about statues. It never was. Yeah. It's just a symbol of a nation canonizing certain people who at best were men of their time, at worst human traffickers. I mean <laughs> Yeah. Like monsters. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, they um donated a lot to some rich person's charity, I'm sure, so they, they, we should definitely give them a, a monument. Yeah, I mean I, I did like how the the conversation got moved by like I don't even think it was from, from by the left. I think it was like the right wing is just deciding that like Churchill statues are under attack. Yes, and like it does. It did tickle me how topical our logo suddenly became, yeah. being a defaced Churchill statue. <laughs> Top notch. We're just ahead of our time. But like, mm. I thought it funny because like, um, it's interesting that they, they they picked Churchill to try and like prop up as this like sort of hero which shouldn't be touched, but it's like. If you actually look into his history, there's some strong grounds for him to not have a statue. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like the whole Bengal famine thing is like, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a big one. Yeah. Um, you know what's fucked up is that people at the time thought that that was awful. Yeah, even even fucking people who are like all up the fucking British Empire are like, mate, that's are you that's that's too far even for me. Like I don't like the Indians, but like you you are like on a next level. Like, yeah. if, like, other people who are, like, um, administrative for the British Empire's control of India are, like, bruv, calm <laughs> down, they're only Indians. Too far, mate. Like, that's, that's insane. That's, like, fucking Nigel Farage coming in and be like, mate, calm it down. What's with all the racism? Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> fucking, oh, it's so bad. I feel like now that we mentioned it, we should actually probably talk about the Bengal famine a little bit. I I don't want to go over it too much because it's a very... And there's a lot to it, um, and it gets worse and worse the more you read into it. But basically, to cut things short, there was a, a famine, obviously, in Bengal, uh, which affected a lot of parts of India and uh, I think now Pakistan um, and some other parts. Apologies as well, got that wrong. Uh, this famine, lots of British officials warned Churchill about this famine, okay, said we need to deal with it. These weren't people who had any particular affinity with the Indian people or anything, these were fucking British officers in, in the Raj. Um, and they were like, no, you need to, you, we need to send food to India. Churchill was basically stomping his feet the entire time, basically saying all sorts of racist shit, like if they didn't want this to happen, they shouldn't have been breeding like rabbits. Um... There yes. are lots. He he wrote about it in his books. He's not a nice man. Um, <laughs> and this basically led to, I believe, like 38 million people dying. Jesus. I think. Editor's note. Estimates range from 2.1 to 10 million people. Which is still pretty fucking terrible. And we, we need to remember this was by choice. Um, they They could have basically given food to India. They chose not to. They actively increased the exports of food coming out of India at the time. Okay, um, I think it like uh, increased by four times the amount they're exporting during a famine. 
but for why? It, he wants to stockpile it so he could give it to European countries after they, they won the war, essentially. Um, oh, I think nice. a lot of the food he was planning to give to, like, Greece and stuff like that. You know, places which weren't currently facing major food shortages, but he basically wanted to increase their growth. Um, mm-hmm. And this was entirely at the expense of, of basically those affected by the Bengal famine. And there's loads of other shit. Um, he released loads of books, which he authored, which basically discuss his views in, in great detail. Read them. He's an awful person. <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, if you do want to look into it, um, I think Bad Empanada has a good video on the Bengal famine. But, yeah, like that, the stuff I talked about is just the very surface level. Um, it's a lot worse. Uh, do look into it if you don't believe me. Um, you will find a lot of dirt on the man. But yeah, so they, 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 it's funny that they picked him because like he's not this fucking saviour. I don't know, you could argue maybe it was good for the UK, but I, I, I'm not willing to go down that road, really. <laughs> well, yeah, that brings us to um, the other thing I wanted to talk about, which is that there's a lot of discussion about the difference between individual racism and institutional racism. Hmm. I don't think it's a very useful conversation because a lot of it stems from poor understanding of history. And and that, that goes for both sides of, of the political divide. Exactly the reason that a lot of gammon are defending Churchill is because they have absolutely no fucking idea what his life amounted to. All they know is that, I mean, <laughs> these are all fucking History Channel dads. Yeah. You know, that will... <laughs> That will sit day after day watching endless dodgy documentaries about World War Two, and he was a prominent figure in the, at, at that time, and the prime minister at the time that that Britain won the war because Britain just did it by themselves <laughs> single handedly, <laughs> and and that's wrapped up into a lot of our national pride is that the idea of British people as scrappy and people that can endure difficult times yeah. under the leadership of a powerful man and... So British a, exceptionalism idea, yeah. Which is yeah, incredibly common in politics now. Especially if it's a, a good orator, which Churchill was. He had a good speechwriter. Well, that's a, that's a different question. Like, if he was, <laughs> he was the author or not. But he delivered them in a rousing enough manner that... Yeah, like a lot of his, his good speeches have, like, you know, of course, massively out, outlasted him. And we're, yeah. we're, we're getting like a... Because of the way it sort of portrayed in like British media and even in, you know, sort of our school system, we're getting like this very biased vertical slice of the man. Yeah, what's interesting is that there's there's probably only two very small excerpts of speeches that anybody could name in this country and that's one or two lines from um from an MLK speech or we shall fight them on the beaches <laughs> yep and and that's it like my old chestnut which i don't think is particularly uplifting to be honest it's just it's basically just going we're going to do the war in several geographical locations but um <laughs> They're going to starve the Raj and beat the Germans. <laughs> be great. Yeah. We shall smoke liberally, yeah. imbibe very expensive alcoholic beverages, and talk about how the Indian is inferior to the white super race. 
I think that was that was uh, on the cutting room floor at the time. But eh. yeah, <laughs> and they thought, "Oody fucking hell, oody." <laughs> Church just became a bother boy <laughs> straight away. <laughs> if we're we're talking about arguments that support the Black Lives Matter movement, we equally don't really understand the history of Britain and its colonial past. You, mm. there's there's a lot of people that will um, defend their public spaces as being beautified by these prominent historical figures, but not really understand what made them prominent in the first place like especially what you t- what you were telling me about the 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 Bristol statue was that was thrown in the sea yeah um <laughs> uh, i believe edward colston he made a load of money basically as a trader and then became involved in the slave trade therefore made a lot of money essentially yeah like it, it, it he wasn't a good man <laughs> is basically what what the argument is like we don't put up statues to alan sugar Oh god, I hope not. <laughs> oh god, oh, I'd vomit <laughs> literal hate. Oh, he's such a wanker. <laughs> he's literally like, I knew what computers were in the seventies. Like he's awful. He's, he's such a piece of shit. They're all terrible but, people, Dave. But yeah, uh, <laughs> like we we don't give just big ass fucking statues for these sort of people you can't argue that on a moral ground that like these billionaires like should deserve one but they they you know they gave to the community so it's fine uh <laughs> yeah definitely yeah and uh, so what, what i'm getting at is that like katie hopkins should have a statue good lord she's got such an awful face yeah no <laughs> uh no is what, what i'm getting at is that there's a lot of these these symbols of national pride that mm. people don't really examine on any deeper level and why should you 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 know why should you be dedicating all of your mental space to deciphering why somebody a hundred years ago decided to cast some random dude's face in bronze but uh, i think a lot of the problems that face police departments and and plenty of other institutions it's certainly not exclusively a law enforcement problem when we're talking about racism it has a lot to do with the idea that we we don't understand why minority groups are disproportionately found within the lowest strata of society we ascribe it to well once again personal responsibility it's just black families aren't as stable as white families they're Men aren't as faithful to their wives. The they just don't work as hard. Yeah, just a, a long list of racist stereotypes. If you don't have any conception of what led to ex-colonial nations to become what we would now refer to as developing countries, which I fucking hate that word, um, mm. <laughs> then if you're growing up within the British school system. Poverty amongst minorities makes sense to you because, you know, a six-year-old or an eight-year-old in school isn't going to understand that there's a legacy to wealth that extends beyond your lifetime. So I was curious to find out if that was something that, that is taught because I don't know about you, but I don't remember, I don't remember a lot of lessons to do with the British Empire or or really much to do about slavery or anything of that nature but i mean i'm older than you so maybe maybe things were better when you were at school 
Um, yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's interesting how they didn't really cover a large amount of British history, but they, they didn't really cover the British Empire when I was in school at all. And we only looked at slavery in a an American context. Um, so basically completely ignoring the, the British Empire sort of being the ones which started that. I mean, arguably you can sort of point towards the Portuguese. But like the the British, you know, they were the the big boys of the slave game, you know? And if we were like any sort of mention of the British Empire was had, you know, it'd be like Oh, and then the British Empire ruled India, and we gave them trains. I never saw it in a bad light. It no. was always just like, we had an empire because we were good at doing ship things. I remember we had like a handful of lessons. Maybe we went to a museum or something. And I think there was a slave ship in one of them. I think we may have watched a movie. But... <laughs> There really wasn't a lot of emphasis on on the empire. There was an awful lot of time spent talking about um, World War One and Two, mm. um, Queen but, Victoria, the monarchy from Henry V onwards. Yeah, but that's interesting because pretty much all of those topics have a context basically to do with the British Empire, which just gets ignored. Like <laughs> right, yeah. When we talked about the monarchy, sort of during Renaissance era, it was always in the context of bad king good king yeah and like oh there were all these internal conflicts to do with religious doctrine and backstabbing royal family members but Mm. it was never i don't think it was ever mentioned this would have been around the time that the new world is discovered and you're sending out settlers to the Americas or liberally ravaging the ever-living fuck out of India and various African nations. Mm. <laughs> like, it's not, never covered when I was at school. And I was asking um, a teacher friend of mine, like, is that is that different now? Obviously, this is just anecdotal. And and she said, yes, well, we, we do cover the slave trade and we talk about how we should be empathetic to the plight of slaves and how it was terrible. But mostly children really don't understand why it happened and why anybody would do that. And it's not super in-depth. So I wanted to find out maybe things have changed since then because obviously we're old as fuck now and schools I'm sure have moved on since <laughs> since the early 2000s. Mm. And I came across a uh, petition that was started last month about teaching Britain's colonial past as a compulsory curriculum item. Yeah. And I mean, in fairness, the petition is quite poorly worded. So <laughs> I don't know. It's... <laughs> I don't know if it's the perfect way to voice that concern, but I do uh, the the sentiment I 100% agree with. And there was a response from the government, and it was basically just a copy paste from from the national curriculum. Mm-hmm. Now I don't know. I didn't know how much you know about how that stuff works because I didn't really understand it very well. I still I still don't, to be perfectly honest. Uh, not much, to be honest, no. The curriculum is a set of guidelines for what students should achieve at every age group. Mm-hmm. 
which, you know, perfectly fine. It was reformed fairly recently. I think it was 2015, maybe, under everybody's favourite minister, Michael Gove. Oh, Absolute turd. <laughs> what a legend. Mm. And it's basically um, un- um, up until the end of junior school, which is ends at age 11, for those that are confused by that. Mm. <laughs> they cover things like early history, Paleolithic era to medieval history, I believe, and so, uh, some things in living memory. So, well, living memory for the teachers, one assumes, is like 80s to now. Right. Not in huge depth, obviously, because you're talking about five-year-olds to 11-year-olds, but, you know, a, gen- a Let's general... Let's talk about um, the economic issues with that. <laughs> yeah, I'd be surprised if that was covered. And then every year they cover, okay, you should be going from 1066 to 1500 or whatever, and so on and so forth. The only day anyone ever remembers about British history. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And so what the government has responded with to this petition was the history curriculum at Key Stage 3 includes the statutory theme Ideas, Political Power, Industry and Empire, colon, Britain, 1745 to 1901. Topics within statutory themes are chosen by schools and teachers. Now, what that means is you have to address this general topic Mm. But it is up to the discretion of schools and academies how they teach that and what parts of those time periods they're focusing on. Because if you're looking at, you know, 200 years of history, it's quite easy to skirt around things that you're not interested in. Yeah. And basically, I I had no idea. I had no idea that's how curriculums worked. I thought it was basically set in stone, right? Okay, by age 10, you need to know about Greece and Egypt or whatever the fuck. (laughs) Um, By age 11, you need to understand why the Mary Rose sank or some shit like that. Yeah, that's all you need to know. You need to know 1066 and the Mary Rose existed. (laughs) Also, something about Florence Nightingale. Oh yeah, Florence Nightingale, that was a good one. Yeah, I didn't even know what, like, when they taught it to me, I didn't even know what century she was from. (laughs) Like... No, I had no. no idea. It was just suddenly Florence Nightingale, and she just appeared and did a medicine. Um, I think it's very confusing the way it's taught because it's not chronological, so you kind of yeah, don't understand bizarre. where to place it in context. Yeah, I find that like the way I teach history quite odd because unless you really look at, like look for it, it's hard to sort of place like where, like at what times different stuff is happening, which is sort of dumb. <laughs> like. It's quite bizarre, but yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's a shame. I think it's good to give schools the opportunity to, you know, decide what they want to teach. Cause, you know, I, I think if we had like a very strict laid out thing, I think that could be quite bad, potentially. But like, I think it's a bit worrying that like, because I don't, I don't recall you saying slavery was a specific topic in that. No, it's under the theme Ideas, political power, industry, and empire. So yeah, so you could a hundred percent avoid <laughs> any topic involving anything negative with the British Empire. Well, not exactly. So it, I, I'll, I'll go into more detail in a minute. There's always every year there's a hullabaloo from teachers' unions about the curriculum changing and how it's going to affect study and um, how it's too strict at X, Y, and Z. That's why I thought it was such a concrete thing. And that made me think, like, why Why is that? 
And then I've realised, okay, the the criticism levied most against contemporary schooling is that we teach to the test. So it's exam boards then? Yeah, right. So I was like, oh, okay, so I'll look at exam boards. I mean, maybe I'm really fucking naive, right? (laughs) Like, I didn't know that exam boards are an independent body and they're private companies. Yeah, it's fucking weird. Yeah, that's that's why that's just fucking expensive. <laughs> right, and I also didn't know that schools have to pay for them. I would have assumed that you know it's it's accounted for within the school budget. You don't have to shell out extra for your examinations. That's and pretty fucking dumb. Yeah, isn't it? I'm I didn't understand. I just. Because what's the point of school? The point of school is that you finish and you have your GCSEs, and you have your A-levels, you have your degree or whatever, you you get the certification. And you would you would assume that even if the school itself isn't writing the exam, that it's something that's agreed upon in a particular area or, or county or whatever. But that's not how it works. It basically, there's like three big ones with like five or six... Um, exam boards the biggest one is AQA mm-hmm. I remember that um, some of my exams were AQA yeah me too each one has a different pricing package effectively the thing that your school deems the most important to teach you is decided by this independent charity because it is a charity I suppose which your school has to buy <laughs> the papers for I what, uh? So what the school deems the most important is based on price. Yeah. Oh wow, that's that's dumb. That's sinister. (laughs) Right. I mean, the exam boards create the exam paper topics in collaboration with the Department for Education. Need I remind you who the Department of Education is run by? (laughs) Particularly. what I was looking at, which was under the power of Michael Gove, who c- could not be more of a worm person. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's fair. It's exactly the kind of person we've spoken about before. Incredibly insulated from the average person. All of these people are eaten, educated, sons and daughters of lords and aristocrats and people that have never had to butter their own fucking toast. Yeah, he's like a professional fail son. Right, I mean, yeah. uh, you know, under the government of uh, Prime Minister David Cameron, who is one of the families that um, still had tax money given to to buy oh, them no. out of the slave trade. <laughs> That's a, wow. <laughs> Wait, yeah. so his, his, his family was still receiving payments for oh that's wow. another thing that fucked me up did you know about that shit yeah 2015 or something we, we finished paying off like the debt to slave owners when britain nominally abolished slavery they did it by saying to all the major slave owners we don't we want to stop this trade so we're going to pay you off hmm. for the price of all of your slaves basically and it cost millions which at the time was an obscene amount of money. Yeah. So much, so such an obscene amount of money that it wasn't paid off for 181 years out of taxpayer money. 
No one And several families received that money until recently, including fucking David Cameron, somebody whose buddy was in control of the national curriculum. I don't know what incentive those fuckers have to tell children about the legacy of rich wankers like them. Yeah, that's not a great relationship. So you basically saying that the, the Department of Education basically has to sign off on these curriculums, essentially. Yes. But they're also heavily in- influenced by the MP in charge of them, I assume. Well, one assumes so, because um, Michael yeah. Gove reformed um, the curriculum under his time in government. I mean, I don't think it was an entirely stupid thing. Basically, it used to be that while you were aged 5 to, to 11, you had to cover, like, basically all of history up until Tudors or something, which is mad. <laughs> and they changed it so that the younger kids try and cover more modern history which i think makes sense because it's easier to grasp something that you have some sort of reference point for in that sense i don't think it was a a a terrible reform but what i was talking about before is you you look at your exam board and whatever your school can afford you'll have a set of papers to choose from so there is some choice afforded to schools about exactly which papers you request so for instance There is a section on history that covers expansion and empire. So, for instance, these are the three options you can go to for your papers. Expansion in India causes an impact of British control. East India Company, Robert Clive, Warren Hastings, Indian Rebellion of 1857. The social, political, cultural and economic impact of empire on Britain and India. Um, Second one is expansion in Africa. Causes an impact of British involvement, trade and missionary activity, South Africa, Egypt, the scramble for Africa, Cecil Rhodes, the Boer War, imperial propaganda. And the last one is migrants to and from and within Britain, Irish migration to Britain, Jewish migration to Britain, transportation, migration to and within the empire, including migration of Asians to Africa, migration from rural to urban settings. So they do cover quite a lot, but you once again, you can choose out of those three to focus on Irish and Jewish migration rather than talking about the British expansion to India or Africa. Mm. And I, I feel like that doesn't necessarily mean that your school wouldn't teach all of those topics. But at the end of the day, we all know what you focus on and it's whatever's on the fucking paper. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, I don't think. I mean, I mean, I mean, schools don't really have that option anymore because they they don't have the funding. They have to. Pretty much all of what I was taught was basically this is going to be on the exam. Yeah, yeah, that's quite concerning. That like potentially they could completely gloss over essentially like the empire in detail or sort of its effects. Like, and even then, like. I'm, I, I would want, like, all three of those taught. Absolutely. Like, like, <laughs> like, even just picking one of those is quite bad, I think. Because I think that would give you a very sort of skewed view. I know until, like, until, like, I looked into it more, you know, I used to have very positive feelings towards the British Empire. Like, yeah. weirdly. Like, I just sort of had this vague sense of pride to do with it like you know 
I still sort of do now, you know, like, e- even though I know all the fucking awful stuff has been trained into me that when I see a, a red coat or something, or one of the troopers from the Zulu war movies, you know, I'm, I'm like, oh, British. <laughs> but, but, you know, that's, that's not that's not how it should be. <laughs> like, I feel bad for that. Right. I mean, there's so much that I... I... Okay, here's how fucked up it is, right? Mm. Do you know? <laughs> do you know what got me to look into the East India Trading Company? Yeah. Pirates of the Caribbean. Oh yeah, same. <laughs> yeah. No, you're absolutely right. Yeah, I didn't know it was a thing. Yeah. That's dumb. And and at the time, I didn't understand what it was. It sounded like East India Company, as in it's like run from East India. No, it's it was basically like a private. Occupying force, right? But on behalf of Britain, for the most part, and, yeah. Uh, until it got um, and, and Holland, yeah. Oh, sorry, Netherlands. <laughs> yeah, the, the the Dutch had like a stake in it. Um, yeah, it wasn't profitable for a while in India, and then basically the government bailed them out. And what's interesting is that um, you know we were talking about the kinds of things that are in museums and in public spaces as monuments. Mm. The other place that I learned about this kind of colonial history was in the Netherlands. I went to Amsterdam while I was at university on holiday and they have um Amsterdam has a really fantastic museum, the history museum. So we spent like fucking all day in there, it was great. And they had this whole exhibition about Dutch colonialization. Um, particularly uh I can't remember exactly where, but it was it was a specific country in Africa. And and it went into incredible depth about okay, this is how long we occupied it. This is the thousands of fucking people that we shipped over here. This is the reason we have certain exports like um, textiles and um, various other, you know, resources. They had a slave ship that showed the insane conditions that people would be transported in. Mm. I didn't know any of that. <laughs> yeah. Maybe maybe that's not common. Maybe it was maybe this was a, a temporary exhibition. I don't know, but it made me feel like it was something that they were very open about and were um, expressly attributing a lot of the success of the Dutch to this legacy of of pillaging Africa. And it just makes me think like if there is something positive to be brought out of this statue defacing <laughs> wave, <laughs> yeah. It's it's a wonderful opportunity to re-examine why we don't do the kinds of reconciliation that some other countries have done with their with more evil events in history. Yeah, like I I think we should have similar to how like the Germans teach Holocaust. Um, uh, yes, yeah. Like the amount of ignorance we have towards our own history regarding that is genuinely quite harmful. Yeah, exactly. It breeds weird nationalism. It's sort of like obsession with World War Two, which I don't think any other country has. Like, no. um, you know, we have all these vagaries about our own history because we don't learn anything about it. And it like, you know, people have these weirdly misplaced positive feelings towards stuff about Britain. So I think this is a real issue that we don't emphasize it as much. Because cause then people start to sort of ignore, you know, why other people are offended by these sort of things. 
because I don't know Absolutely, the history yeah. behind it. Which is why I don't I don't put any stake in that personal racism thing because I don't think that your average person in this country does harbor truly racist feelings towards people. I think I think like with a lot of things if you don't experience something you don't know that it exists. Mm. So if you do, you've never experienced that kind of discrimination and you would never discriminate in the in that way against somebody else. You assume that nobody does and that and that makes it a lot easier to to call the BLM protesters crybabies because you're like oh well it doesn't really happen. Yeah, so, you know, like a big response to it is discrimination is illegal, so we don't have it. <laughs> you know, right. Yeah, because I just don't understand it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I get what you mean. Yeah, like, I, I also don't blame people for having these racist British views, but, like, you can understand why they're so ignorant about it and why they have them. Because if, if you're not educated about it, you just think everything's great. Like, you have this ex- expectation that the things that you're taught at school, you're taught because they are the most important aspects of your history. I, it doesn't occur yeah. to you until, you ma- until you're much older to question what those things are and who decided it. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I talk about my own experience because I'm an irritating person. Um, <laughs> I... You know, I always did very well at school and I, I enjoyed, I enjoyed doing well, if that makes sense. I, I wanted to be like, right, I've covered all this and I know this better than anyone else. And mm. it, it kind of bums me out <laughs> to have finished that process and realized that nothing that I took such pride in learning is useful <laughs> because it, it's, it's got such holes in, in, in the topics you covered. I mean, it's worrying how ignorant you are still left after leaving the education system. Mm. I mean, I, I know I bring this up with you all the time, but like literally until two years ago, I'm still going to bang on about it. Didn't know about the opium wars. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 again, like we just don't get taught about all the awful shit which the British Empire has done. So we view it as this like this, this good and, and we try and defend it when people are sort of attacking the legitimacy of our feelings towards this history. And the fucked up thing is, even if you do sort of um, look into it when you're older, you're like, oh, I didn't know about this particular conflict or, mm. or the colonisation that was perpetrated by this country. Like the Spanish were super expansive as well. Yeah, Spanish, Portuguese, Dutch. Even Even now... Until quite recently, I still didn't really understand what that means, if that makes sense. I still just thought, subconsciously, you just think, oh, well, you know, just it, it just enriched my country because we had exposure to those different cultures. Forgetting the fact that, yes, slavery was all terrible and whatever, but all those people are gone. Yeah, they're gone, which means they were no longer in their fucking country. So you've just taken... All of the working age people out of a fucking nation. And then you're like, well, why aren't you fucking doing better? (laughs) You've had the same amount of time to have the industrial revolution like Britain did. You've had the same amount of time to make progress on, on social reforms. And why are you still doing X, Y, and Z to women or minorities? I still have that kind of judgmental feeling about it. Like, oh, fucking hell, India, why haven't you sorted out plumbing by now and yeah it literally only occurred to me 
very recently that the same way that the population hasn't recovered in Ireland since the potato famine, the brain drain and the population drain from all of those ex-colonies still haven't recovered. That is how pervasive these actions were. Yeah, I mean, like, we don't learn the context behind how we affected other countries. And, like, I think I'm absolutely certain that's why that plays into this sort of British exceptionalism, because we don't know how much we damaged other countries. So when we look no. at them now, we're like, oh, well, why are they shit? I guess it's some sort of issue with their moral character or something. And it's like, yeah. no, it's because you fucking ravaged them. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's it's like uh, like when you hear like Republicans just try and shit on any country which like sort of tried to have like a socialist revolution or something. Um, mm. Well, why do we socialist countries keep on failing? And it's like, yep, yeah, cool. Just don't look at anything the CIA has ever done. <laughs> if, if if you don't look. You know, it just it looks like sense. they're failing yeah. on their on their own. You know, right? <laughs> like <laughs> Venezuela's just like full of people that don't understand money. That's the problem. That's it. Yeah, <laughs> they're just walking around like, how many dollar work do me no no? <laughs> <laughs> how, how do oil? <laughs> like, yeah, just don't, no one understands economics. That's that's why it's fuck. Yeah, obviously. Yeah, I, I think it sort of encourages a sort of animosity. I think, to developing nations. And this sort of ignorance about, like, why we should be helping them, you know, with, like, financial aid and stuff. Oh, like, a good fucking example is... Uh, what's his name? I think it's, like... Oh, David Starkey. Yeah, right? So he was <laughs> talking about how Jamaican Patois has, like, invaded Britain and stuff like that. Why are the Jamaicans here, David? Why are they here? <laughs> <laughs> Where did they come from? <laughs> we literally <laughs> shipped the them over to rebuild Blitzed Britain. Yeah, like, because we owned them. <laughs> like, mm. like, they didn't just, like, they didn't just go, fuck, you, you, you know what, mate? I really want, I want to check out this England place. Because I want to infect them with my patois. Again, but, yeah, he's got this fucking, like, weird antagonism towards these people because he just, a historian doesn't understand his own history. Right. <laughs> like, that's his fucking job. Because, unfortunately, the guy's fucking ancient. You know, he, he's still going off the old colonialist rhetoric. We shouldn't have this sort of antagonism towards these countries. And, you know, like, all these people are like, we shouldn't give money to foreigners because uh, we need to help our own. What, what, why should we help developing countries? You know, because we stopped them developing, maybe. Right. I think it's a genuine crime that we didn't have something like the Truth and Reconciliation Commission in South Africa after apartheid. I was like, hey, we did a bad thing. Like a whole bunch of... Mm. A whole bunch of really bad things. <laughs> yeah. uh, let's, um, let's air that out. Maybe try and work towards some manner of justice. We're not really taught about countries which used to be owned by Britain. So again, it's just the case that we don't know why they're in the state they are. Yeah, it's because of us. Well, yeah, that's the other thing that that kind of ties into is what you were looking at with the language we use around colonialism. It's It sounds very friendly, you know. Oh, colonies, that's just, you know, like a, like a lovely island or that's that. Architectural style that everybody loves in America. It's like yeah, 
Like it, what does it mean? <laughs> like it sort of sanitizes, adds like a sort of academic veneer. Yeah, like it it legitimizes it while also distancing yourself from it. If we like, it's a it's a good, really good post. The Twitter account was at absurdist words, um, but like it, it's also this idea of using clearer language on slavery. Probably shouldn't be using the term slave. Use hostages, slave owners, human traffickers, slave catchers police those sort of things um you know plantations death camps mistresses i think is a really particular one you know this this idea like oh they're just they're just mistresses of the local slave lord no rape victims they weren't they didn't want to be there they didn't want to bear these fucking children to these owners who would then put them back into servitude overseers is another one people were there to discipline slaves they're torturers. That was their job. Mm. And co- and the word colonizers, invading force, maybe. <laughs> yeah, like it, it adds this sort of, as you said, it puts it the, the the sort of language you use to describe it academically does put this big sort of distance away from it. You know, yeah. as I said, it sanitizes the the sort of meanings behind it. I said, like I think mistresses is like definitely like I think probably the, like the worst one because. It, it sounds like, romantic. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, it's a sort yeah. of like flirty uh, veneer to it. It's like, that's yeah. just not the case. Especially when you think about that kind of era of what a marriage would be. You think, oh, mm-hmm. it would have been a contract of convenience and a property. So if it's a mistress, it's somebody that you've chosen because you love them. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? Like, it, it makes it sound even nicer than like a wife. It makes it easier for you to have the story of, oh, the, oh, the nice slave owner. He was a nice slave owner. Yeah. <laughs> he, he was a nice human trafficker. He was the pleasant hostage owner. One of the better rapists. Yeah, he, he tried to restrain his professional torturers. <laughs> like, this sort of... Sick. Yeah, like, it's, it's like what the fucking South tried to do around the, the Civil War. Like, they tried to paint this idealised version of southern slavery. I was trying to pretend that, like, oh, yeah, in the south, you know, we have these slaves, but it's because they're so vulnerable in the world, you know? I mean, imagine if we if we left them to the devices of, you know, like a factory owner. Oh, they'd be so poorly treated. Well, as, as slaves, you know, they get looked after until they die. You know, when they're old, they get to retire. You know, <laughs> we always look after them. Yeah, sure they did. Yeah. Um, y- y- you know, it's, 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 it's just plays to sort of propaganda, I feel. So I do think I, I agree with the, the message behind um, changing the wording because it makes it a lot more visceral and sort of easier to identify with. So I think that's a, a really important point if we're going to talk about trying to um, change how we teach these things. Right, so it... It makes it a lot easier to other people. And that's what we talked about last time with policing is it's that combination of stressful situations and the ability to put a distance between yourself and someone else. And in the case of the police, it's not just white person, black person, uh, native to the country, migrant. It's on top of that also police, civilian, defender, enemy. Mm. 
So if you stack all of those things on top of each other, a black man waiting for a bus in the dark street can look like someone that's going to cause you harm. That's not to excuse it by any means, but... No, but it, co- it contributes to it, you know? Right. I'm, I'm sure we both agree. Like, we, we don't think these... Could, you know, because we've explained the police are trained in a certain way to be combative towards civilians in the previous episode a little bit. The whole fraternity of policing discourages, you know, what we describe as like a good cop sort of behaviour, you know, reporting of the cops. That is explaining the reason why. We're not condoning it. Like, it's not like a good enough excuse. It's just, you know... It's useful to explain why these things happen. Because the, the answer usually isn't, oh, they're just awful people. <laughs> um, right. Unfortunately, it's usually a lot darker than that, <laughs> unfortunately. Right, so my point in this case is one of the solutions mm. to police brutality is mandating a curriculum that really in detail covers the the long-lasting effects of conquering another country. Really, so you shouldn't have policemen going into, you know, majority black neighbourhoods feeling like, you know, oh, they don't belong here. Yeah. You know, like, I didn't even fucking know the Windrush generation was a thing. No, I didn't. Like... <laughs> Until, like, what? Uh, yeah, a couple of years ago. So, like, you need to have this context of, like, no, they belong here. They were encouraged to come here we you know need to explain the context behind these things like you know because it's not they had british passports for heaven's sake yeah (laughs) and they're still getting basically deported due to like a clerical error yeah which is insane unreal but again that ain't clerical error i I think in part because they didn't fucking know that that was a thing no um, and I don't think we even know the full numbers of how many people were basically forced to leave the country. I don't know, but I mean that's a whole other thing yeah. of, of horrifying sets of stories of just yeah abject misery. I, <laughs> <laughs> but that, once again, we come back to you know who's enacting these kinds of policies. You know our favourite um, recurring characters like Theresa May at the Home Office during her tenure. They they're all fucking buds of each other in the Tory Party. Cannot tell me that they didn't have a very similar education that was extremely favourable when it was covering Britain's expansive history and that that doesn't influence their policy when it comes to setting that curriculum. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm private schooling, you know, a lot of it is still based on the systems they created to uh, educate the children of colonial administrators and stuff. mm it's it's still pretty much the same system, trained to have a sort of weird admiration for Britain, but not the people in it. Just this vague idea of Britain. I think that's why it's so fucking difficult to talk about reform, because if we really and truly wanted to tackle the issues that are prevalent in the news right now, you know, housing, poverty, race, racial injustice, healthcare... We kind of have to attack them all at once. Yeah. Because they're all linked to one another. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you can't just you can't just throw more money at the police or something and expect like things to change. You need to you, you've got to like actually treat the illness not the symptoms. Yeah. You know, and that's a big issue. And that's what you're listening to us for cuz we're going to tell you how to do it. <laughs> Where Jeff Bezos' skin 
sneak into the bank, right? I don't know. Honestly, I think this podcast is just a sort of weird catharsis for me and for you to just learn about this shit because I fucking didn't know any of it. I'm not special, so I don't think that I'm alone in that mindset at all. I think the most important takeaway for me from doing this podcast is just how important the context behind stuff is Mm. and, like, how we've been educated otherwise. Yeah. Like, it was interesting seeing the history behind housing but also the history behind policing. Um, Yeah. You know, without that prior context... You don't understand how fucked up things are. That's the thing. We don't know, like, the fucking future we could have had. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like, and how, like, the status quo is not how it's always been. You know, there there is room for change. There always has been. It's just we've been taught that, no, things are the way they are. So, I think it's interesting, like, looking in... Although stuff was, like, way worse previously in history, it's interesting... Knowing how much sort of like room for change there was and how things were so vastly different. Yeah, you need to understand the past to understand the the present, really, is what I'm getting at. The other thing that I, I'd like to link back to is that that's why we I wanted to call it Utopia for Dirtbags, because it's a lot of the, a lot of the uh, criticisms levied at, at leftists or progressives or whatever the fuck you want to call them mm. is that you're aiming for a future that's perfect well how about just a bit less bad (laughs) yeah i mean how about a utopia (laughs) for people that kind of are a bit shit (laughs) (laughs) utopia for humans yeah i mean like just just better just not not as awful well that's like the thing i find really I, i i think additionally depressing about how capitalism has come, you know, what, what it's developed into, because it doesn't even have, like, the self-preservation to know when to improve. Right, <laughs> yeah. Because, like, I think we all know and have seen during the coronavirus period that this shit ain't working. Stuff has got to give. If they wanted a capitalism to last for fucking, like, a hundred years more or something... They would have to improve things, but they refuse. If, like, most countries just even adopted, like, I'd say, like, a Nordic model or something, mm. they would have a lot less unrest, you know? Yeah. And they're just not even willing to capitulate to that. They would rather have the chance to lose everything than give something. Well, the thing is, though, this isn't, this is no longer a an ideological timeline it's a physical one because sooner or later though that fucking climate change thing's gonna come home to roost (laughs) Mm. and like you can hoard all the shit you want but if there's no fucking air yeah but again like you're seeing billionaires not investing in ways to actually tackle climate change they're buying bunkers they're buying bunkers yeah but just ways to survive yeah, they would they would rather be the last person alive in an ash wasteland than spend <laughs> money to make it not get to that. So that's fun. So let's let's fuck him up, guys. Put more guillotines outside of Jeff Bezos's house. Oh, that was beautiful. <laughs> oh, I love it. 
That is a credible threat and he should fucking take it seriously. They should. But they, they literally, they're, they're so engulfed by this, their own neoliberal ide- ideologies that they just don't understand the impending danger. That's the thing. They keep on pushing people further and further and further and just assuming that people just take it. And as, as we've seen, it doesn't look like that's going to happen. Either the planet's going to give out or people will. But I don't see capitalism surviving. But that's all right. Yeah, well, thank you for listening to Utopia for Dirtbags. I hope this was informative. No idea what we're going to talk about next time, but hopefully we'll see you soon. Goodbye. Look after yourselves. Squeeze, squeeze us a wee like, will you? Squeeze one out. Just, just a cheeky one. Just, Got to squeeze a wee like. Just, just plop out a cheeky five-star review on iTunes. I, I believe in you. <laughs> Thanks, kids. Bye. Bye.